Hey everyone, welcome back to Cart Overflow. I'm your host, Gen Furukawa. And today we have Daniel Pellick, who is the founder of Email Compose, Clavio Master, and master of all things email in terms of design, copywriting, segmentation, personalization, and we're gonna get into all of that. First, Daniel, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Nice to meet you again. Doing great. Thanks. And thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, likewise. It is early. You're in Taiwan. And so no better thing to talk about early in the morning than email. And so I, I would love to learn more about it because you're an agency. You're, you're focused strictly on email for e-commerce marketing. And you you have a lot, like, I think that email is like kind of like become the de facto most important channel as we've seen changes in in iOS 14, iOS 15, third-party cookies, all of that where there's been a reliance on ad platforms has changed. So there's been a shift towards owned channels, email and SMS being some of those, those more most important channels. I'd love to hear your frameworks because your, your agency positions itself as you can drive 30 to 40% of revenue, of e-commerce revenue from email. And I, I'd love to hear the framework of how you strategize that, how you're looking for opportunities, then how you kind of like break it down to integrate your services with a brand to maximize email as a channel. Okay, so great question. A lot of e-commerce brands have serious challenges growing their market share and scaling because of things like ad costs going up and iOS updates and also because of revenue leaks in different parts of their customer journey. And we have a program that works with seven to eight figure e-com brands where we build and implement an email marketing strategy that covers their entire customer journey. So they increase their overall revenue, as you said, by 25% to 40%. This is usually what we see, which also enables them to, to scale quicker. Now, in terms of when, when we look at, at a new client and their email platform, we look for different aspects. So we look for revenue and engagement metrics. We look for uh, creatives, the technical aspects. So I, I can unpack this. So first, we take a big picture view of what kind of results are you generating with your email efforts? So we'd look at the percentage of revenue that's attributed to your emails. So let's say your online sales generated a revenue of 100K per month last month, and we'd expect emails to generate at least 25K out of that, so 25%. But we aim for 30 to 40%, which is very achievable for most brands. Now, this is something that you can find on the Clavio dashboard. It can't be missed. But with other platforms such as uh, Omnisend or MailChimp, it can be a little trickier or you'd need to manually sum up the revenue from campaigns and flows and then divide by your total business revenue for, for that month. Now, flows should be at least 15% of overall business revenue and campaigns, we usually, we'd, we'd expect them to be at least 20%, anything less than these numbers. And it's likely that there are major gaps and opportunities. So we'd look at what flows you have in place, which means what automated sequences are running and handling events such as cart abandonment or first purchase and so on. And we'd look to see if you have all of the must-have flows, the ones that we call foundational flows. So that would be lead generation, welcome flow, checkout abandonment, which is a standard abandoned cart flow in, in Clavio, added to cart abandonment, browse abandonment, post-purchase flow for first-time buyers and repeat purchases, and a VIP flow, oh, and a, and a win-back flow. And if you don't have one of these or, or more, 
then that's a low-hanging fruit right there. Now, even if you have them, uh, we'd look to see if it makes sense to have other flows that typically generate serious revenue. Uh, for example, if you're selling consumables, they need to be purchased again after a certain period. Let's say you're selling supplements or skincare, then a replenishment flow is great for that. Because if, if people typically finish consuming a product after 30 days or any other period, you set the flow to trigger after 30 days to send a reminder email to buy again before you run out of it. And this is just an example. There are a lot of other really useful flows such as price drop or back in flow, back in stock flow. And once we understand what's missing in terms of, of flows, we'll dive deeper and look uh, at engagement and deliverability. So we'd want to know how often you send emails to your list. Typically, a good cadence, uh, I would say, is one email per week. But in some cases, it, it, it could be more or less. Brands that only send emails very rarely or not at all, their lists are likely in bad health. So most people have already moved on there, you know, moved on to something else or even forgotten that they ever interacted with the brand. And it's going to be challenging to reactivate those old leads. Now, if you do send emails regularly, we'd also ask you if you send it, it, these emails to the entire list. And if not, what kind of segmentation do you typically use? So many marketers have an engaged segment. For example, people who clicked on any email within the last month. And this is a pretty standard segment. But if you want to go deeper and really tailor the messaging and offer, it's also great to segment according to things like interests, problems, or people who purchase products from certain categories, or whatever they, you know, if they made several purchases. The goal of these segmentations is to personalize the campaigns, to send messages and product recommendations that would resonate with that particular segment. And we can dive into that later. But if this brand simply blasts the entire list with each and every campaign that they send, it's probably hurting their email efforts more than helping them. And the way we, we see the effects of all that is by looking at the engagement metrics. So this would be, uh, what are the typical open rates for campaigns? What are the typical click rates for these emails? Which means how many people have clicked the email out of all of the emails delivered? And we have benchmarks for these metrics. So for click rates, we'd like to see at least 2.5% for campaigns or if it's a flow, at least three to 5%. Oh. Now then we'd look at the revenue per recipient, which depending on the flow and the industry, it could be anything from one to $8 per recipient. And with campaigns, 10 to 50 cents. And then we'd look at lead capture. If you check your store's overall conversion rate, it will give you an idea of how much traffic exits your site without buying. And typically we see 97% of the traffic lost. So it's critical that we capture these email addresses. So the idea is that there are a few ways to capture email, but the most effective one is a good old pop-up and it converts the best. And what we'd like to see is at least 5% of new visitors to your site signing up to your list, but we aim for six to 8%. Now, next we'll audit the creatives and the strategy. We look for gaps and opportunities with the copywriting, the graphic designer, and the overall strategic approach. And you can dive deeper to that. You know, what, what makes an email great? If you, if you want, I can, I can talk about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely like to hear about that. But that was a lot. There's a lot to 
dig through there. And so if I can repeat, so just to make sure that I get it all. When you're, when you're start, starting to evaluate and audit a brand, you're going to start with what emails are they sending between the flows, so the foundational flows, which is post-purchase, welcome flow, cart abandonment, et cetera. Those, then the campaigns flows, you're, you'd ideally like to see about 10% of revenue coming from there. Campaigns, 15% to 20%. Are those yeah, numbers flows numbers would be somewhere? around 15% at the minimum and campaigns still at least 20%. Got it. Okay. And then at least in terms of cadence, once a week, and then ideally that one email would be something that's more targeted besides just to blast the whole campaign or the whole list. So that's where you get the segmentation, which would focus on what their interests are or their past purchases or any other data that you might have in order to increase relevancy. And then you'd, you'd look into the strategy and the design of the emails. And, and that, is that kind of like the, the whole structure of what the audit is at a high level? Yes. Yes. And that, that yeah, Very there, well there definitely yeah. is a lot there. I would love to, oh, and then of course, like the opt-in rates were 5% opt-in at least, but I'd, I'd love to learn more because I've spent a lot of time speaking with merchants about ways to personalize and, and we can speak, you know, you're a Klaviyo master specifically around Klaviyo as a tool, but this is applicable regardless of email service provider, but a, how are brands effectively capturing that data? what data points are most helpful and have the highest correlation to ROI in email? And then how does it actually look tactically when they're building out the flows and campaigns and segments? So, you know, it all starts with collecting personal data about your customers that you can later use to personalize your messages with. And the simplest example is when people sign up to your newsletter, if you ask not only for the email, but for the first name, then you can later start your emails with Hagen. And so just to make sure we've, we're aligned on the basics of how you collect this data, because, because that, that is a very interesting for both of us. I know both of us are personalization fans. So let's give a 10 second explanation, right? Of what is a zero party data, first party data. Then we can talk about how we, we collect and use it. Totally. So zero-party data is information about your customers or leads that you collect by directly asking them. So for example, with an interactive quiz or by, any, by having them answer questions when they sign up or when you send them an email. So let's say an example of a skincare brand. We would ask what skin concerns they have, how many steps they're willing to take in their skincare routine. And then we customize the lead capture welcome flow. That's a sequence that they get when they sign up for the, for the, for that, uh, after that quiz. So we split the flow. So a new subscriber gets emails that talk about their specific condition and preferences. And we showcase customer reviews that are relevant to them and also show them relevant product recommendations. And this is the antidote uh, to the iOS pixel blocks and privacy protection, which is the old-fashioned way of personalizing by stalking across, you know, stalking traffic across their online activities. And by the way, I don't know if it's just me, but it feels like these days people are much more aware and uncomfortable about companies stalking all their online activities to know things about them that they never intended to disclose. And on the other hand, consumers are getting used to being asked for information or preferences, especially with surveys and quizzes. So after the death of pixels and cookies, uh, the future, as I see it, is, is just in asking those questions so you can segment customers and then send them the targeted campaigns. So 
we talked about uh, zero party data. Now, first party data is the information that you haven't directly asked for, though it's there for you if you look at the interactions that this customer had with you. So their past purchases, what categories and products they were interested in, whether they are new or returning customer and so on. So an example of how we would use it is when someone signs up to a pop-up, we would tag them according to which category page or area of the site they signed up from. Now, another example, if you have a lot of content on your site, you can plant downloadable lead magnets that talk about specific problems that your visitors might have. So let's say you're selling mattresses and you want to know whether they are light sleepers. So you would offer them a PDF about that. And if they download, then you know, you know that, that it's interesting for them. But if you want to know if they suffer from back issues, you'd have another PDF specifically on that. And then you know what they are struggling with. And according to, and to that, you can personalize the content. Another example, if you're selling pet products, you'll know if this is a cat parent or a dog parent by which product they previously purchased. So this is your first party data. Now, in terms of how we use it, I can, I can give a couple of examples. So let's take the, one of the most common and well-known one of a birthday flow. So we set up an automated flow in Klaviyo that triggers near someone's birthday. You send them a cool birthday greeting and, and you, you, know, you, you give them some a gift or a discount. And it's great for customer experience and great for increasing their lifetime value. Only thing is for this flow to work, you actually need to ask people for their birthday. Now, if you don't wanna have a field for it during checkout, what we sometimes do is in a post-purchase flow or in a pop-up, you know, a pop-up that we display for existing customers, once they return to the site, we'd ask them for that. And so then, when, when you send the birthday emails, you can personalize the special offers that they would get. This is where you use the data that you've already collected on them. So for example, if you know that they've already purchased a product from a certain category, you could display other best-selling products from that particular category. Now in Klaviyo, you do that automatically by using what's called dynamic product block. And this is an element in the email that automatically pulls up products according to the criteria that you define. So you can ask it to show only certain products or categories of products and those ones that you know that, that this person has purchased in the past or even viewed in the past. So you know that these products would be interesting and relevant to that person. Interesting. Now, okay. Yeah. So is, is that only set based on categories or can you use logic like if then statements across anything like for example like if they are in this segment or if they have visited this page then show these products yeah if you actually if you split the flow you can definitely target specifically according to to conditions so you, you just split the flow right. okay i can that, give you by the way an, an example of a quiz yeah yeah i yeah. would love that so you know, one of the brands that we work with, they sell supplements for pets. And we wanted to segment their customers into dog parents and cat parents. And also have a few other data points that will really help us send targeted campaigns, such as the age of the cat or dog and, and the health issues that might, they might have. And the idea is that we can then nurture them with emails that educate and talk about exactly that. And we can show them customer reviews that are relevant to their situation. And we can recommend products that solve the problems that they're facing. Now, to find these data points, 
we ran a quiz that had some fun creatives to it. So, so it was quick and fun to fill out. And when we asked what's the age of their pet, let's say they chose an old age rather than a pup. So next question, we asked them about specific health conditions that you see in older dogs and aren't relevant to young pups. So this is another way you can personalize even the quiz that's meant to personalize the emails later on. And then the contacts who participated in the quiz, we divided them into segments according to their answers. Now, this kind of personalization and, and being hyper-focused with what we send got us increases in almost every measure you can think of. Before that, just segmenting according to the usual engaged contacts. For those who aren't familiar with this, a popular way of segmenting lists when you send email campaigns according to engagements. So let's say people open or click your emails within the past six months. So with this kind of regular segmentation, open rates were on the low side of 16 to 18%. And after using dog-specific or cat-specific subject lines or subject lines specific to their situation, we got open rates more around the 30 to 40%. Mm. And click rates got higher as well to above 5%. And at the end of the day, we saw nearly double the usual sales for these campaigns and around 30% higher average order value. So... You know, it's ultimately about people becoming loyal to the brand because there's this relationship going and the communication with the brand is being so relevant to their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really interesting. And I've heard examples like, like for example, in, in pets specifically, where dogs, maybe cats as well, have chronic conditions that correlate directly to their age. So if there is, for example, a German Shepherd that's 10 years old, you can have a good idea that they will have this issue or, you know, so, so there's some predictability. So once you know the dog breed, maybe the age, maybe the, the health type, you are able to pinpoint and, and offer more relevant educational content. And then therefore that positions a brand as the expert and Robert Cialdini, who wrote the book influence, that's one of the main pillars of influence is establishing authority and expertise because you're educating the customer. And once, because you're able to gather that data and then on your end, you're using the data very effectively to segment and create more relevant subject lines. So you're getting double the open rate and then more effective copy and creative. You're seeing, what do you say? Double the, the sales from it or something like that. But yeah, that, that's, that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say also, you know, you win that that is exactly. And you also win by actually being relevant to them and not mentioning things that aren't relevant to them. You don't talk about pups with, with parents of, of all dogs. Yeah. So then if we're getting tactical, is that one flow for dogs? And then you have like conditions based on like age and then conditions based on dog type, for example, or do you have just like separate flows altogether that you clone and then you might have like five different dog related flows? So there are several possibilities to approach this. You can either do that with specific flows. Let's say we are talking about a post-purchase flow for repeat repeat purchases, but we mostly used it for campaigns actually to nurture them with information and also with, with product offers that are relevant to them. Got it. Okay. So then one thing I wanted to ask you was when you were talking about an ideal cadence of emails being said, you said once a week at at minimum, but then does that mean a flow? You just have like one email per week or one email, then wait 
seven days, say, then another email, then wait seven days? Or are you, were you referring more to campaigns? So on the flows, so the, the interplay within flows and campaigns is really, it's really easy to, to control in Clavio because you can turn on smart sending, which means that people aren't going to, to get campaigns where certain flows are active and, and vice versa. But in terms of cadence, I mean, many believe that sending emails frequently means that you're spamming people. So let's talk about that for a minute. And then we'll talk about the, about the correct cadence that you can use. If you're sending emails every day, shouting sale, sale, like you're in a bazaar, then yeah, you're pretty much spamming people. But it's a whole different game if you're nurturing your list with emails that contain information that's interesting and valuable for them. And you do that on a consistent basis so people know to expect your emails. So what ends up happening when you when you email regularly and with interesting content is, is that I would actually look forward to your emails and naturally open them with, with great interest because they know what to expect and they know they'll get value. And then when you do occasionally send a promotional email, they will open and respond to it eagerly. So how many emails to send? If you know, First of all, it's, it's about expectations. We have a client that sends an email every two days and there isn't inherently something good or bad about it. It's, it's actually very profitable for them, but it might not work for someone else because you need to think about a few things. You've got to send, sorry, you've got to set the expectations upfront about this. When someone signs up and you've, you know, you've got to give an, people an easy way of managing their preferences. So if they only want to receive a weekly email, they won't get everything just once a week. The second thing is that you've got to keep a certain consistency and cadence that people expect. So for example, if you're sending an email once a week, you can't all of a sudden start sending once a day because you're probably going to annoy quite a lot of people. Mm. Not talking about Black Friday when this is expected. And even then we'd actually ask in an email if they want these announcements because people who are interested, we want to make sure we get them excited about it. And those who are not, just filter them out. Otherwise, they'll do more harm than good because they will hurt your deliverability. So uh, this, the third thing is that you've got to make sure that each and every email feels valuable and interesting to the people you're sending it to. So they begin to expect your emails and enjoy them. Yeah. Now, if you're thinking about how many emails should I send for any segment of your list, I'd recommend start with once a week as we, as we talked about earlier and just see how things go. You look at the open rates, you look at the click, click rates, you look at sales conversion and you, if you get good metrics and if your unsubscribes, unsubscribe rate is low, if all looks good, you start sending a second email per week and you check the metrics carefully. If you're still getting good click rates, good sales conversion and you don't get much unsubscribes, then you can start testing out three emails per week if you want. There is no recipe here for how many emails your audience wants. And I won't want to assume anything just because personally I like or don't like receiving emails. You've got a test and you let the numbers tell you the truth. Yeah. For most yeah, of our yeah. clients, we found that two emails per week is a sweet spot with some of, some of them are three emails per week. And actually those that are sending three emails are actually the ones making the most profit out of emails. So sure. if anything, if you're sending good, high quality emails, you often find that the more you send, the merrier. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. With the caveat, 
it is good content, which is of course the big variable. But what about like when you're kind of, all right, you make the commitment three times a week, you're going to send it. That can also put a lot of stress perhaps on the, the copy team, the copywriter, like to come up with that much content or that many like different topics to keep things interesting and, and different. So you're maintaining engagement and, and open rates don't plummet after you're sending the third in a, in a week. Do you have any like frameworks or strategies, things that you kind of like rely on as a structure for what a, a campaign calendar might look like in a given week or month? So first of all, you, you, you should try spot there with, with being consistent and, and being committed to it. Because if you start with sending two emails a week and then you don't send an email for another month, then you're going to get some drop-off in engagement. And, and if you just neglect the list, then it will gradually die because people would move on. And so, and so definitely, first of all, it, it, you need to be committed for it, to it. And in terms of the structure of the calendar, this, this is usually a mix between events that are happening, special days, Valentine's Day, Father's Day, depending on your brands, you, you, would, you would know you, you want to send emails around these, these dates. And also planning for content that you can, that's either relevant or evergreen that you would you write. So, so you could prepare a list, a very long list of possible evergreen topics. So whenever you need to fill out the calendar with, with different emails and you don't have any event coming up, then you would just use that evergreen content. Mm, sure. And yeah, that, that's a nice thing too. A little trick that I've used is ideally the campaigns are evergreen. They're not like super timely and you can just recycle them. You can maybe take the campaign that you just sent. It, it might be telling the brand story, for example, or how the, the founders came to meet or why, why they chose this particular product. And then inc include that into a flow. It might be, for example, like the welcome flow. And so you did the work once, but you can use it in different points in the customer journey or different flows or, or campaigns. Yeah, absolutely. Great idea. A lot of evergreen content finds its place to into flows rather than campaigns. So you can actually have this really long flow with a lot of interesting topics that you know you can you can always send. And that way, every new subscriber that signs up to your list and every new customer would get them regardless of at what point did they join your newsletter. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Now, Clavio sends, I mean, you can do SMS and email. SMS is in your wheelhouse too. How do you incorporate SMS with a flow and, and kind of like balance the two channels in one flow? So it's really great that you can actually manage both SMS and flows within Clavio, which means that you can coordinate them and you always see readily see what is what is going on i would say it's it's just a different cadence and, and a different different topics that that are handled within within sms and emails you gotta play on the strength and, and weaknesses of, of both and so and so you just need to to make sure that first of all you're not sending too many sms or too many emails gotta have the right cadence and also choose your strategy if you prefer to use abandoned cards, it's mostly with SMS or mostly with emails. Depends on, it simply depends on, on your strategy and also on testing right. as well. Yeah, and, and monitoring it. Yeah. So I'd love to hear 
some of the the like actual examples because you work with a ton of brands across different industries, some of which are like harder. I mean, there are other obstacles, like for example, a CBD brand and stuff, but I'd love to hear some of the, the challenges that some of your clients have faced and then how you approach it and, and the strategy that you implemented and maybe how you overcame those challenges. So are you talking about challenges with specific topics or? More so just like hitting that threshold of say 25, 35% of revenue, but they were underperforming with email in terms of driving revenue. So I'd say with when you're talking about challenges, it's usually about understanding what works and what doesn't work. So you, you have your review of your own brand, maybe your marketing manager, you've seen a couple of other Clavio accounts, but it's often different, difficult to, to get the, the whole picture of, of what works and what not work, what is not working. And we can talk, for example, about abandoned cart strategies. So there's a lot of mistakes that we see with abandoned carts, and, and these really lower the, the revenue that, that you get out of them. Now, abandoned carts are really important. You can find them in, in almost every, every account that you see or in Shopify or in an app and because, because they save so many sales. But for example, when, when people go about creating their abandoned carts emails, they put all kinds of buttons and calls to action in the emails and they either highlight popular products that the customer didn't actually choose or they send, they send them to their social media and so on. So all these things distract from the goal of the emails, which is to get them back to checkout. And the result is that it lowers the conversion. So what I recommend in this case is having one call to action and be completely focused on the goal of that email. By the way, this is, this is something that, that we see not just in abandoned cart emails, but, but in generally in, in flows, when we look at flows, we often see lots of calls of actions, lots of very long emails. And once we're able to clean all that and focus on just one goal per email, we see improvement in the, in the mm. results of those emails in the sales conversion. Now, yeah. another thing that, that we see with abandoned carts is sending the email too soon or too late. So before sending the first reminder for the abandoned cart, you, you want to give shoppers the chance to complete the purchase. And I found that delay of two to four hours works best. And for the next emails, just space them out one or two days apart. I've so seen... these are just examples of how we, you know, we look at an email and see what can be done better. Yeah. Clavio had some stat, I think, that they saw up to 70% of sales have abandoned a cart, which is a, a huge amount of money to leave on the table. And, and yeah, many at this point might have abandoned cart flows set up. But the other interesting stat, and this is what they have, I mean, they've seen billions of emails at this point, but there is the open rate, click-through rate, and revenue per email chart that you see. And, and this is over like seven emails of an abandoned cart flow. And even by the, like the fifth, sixth, seventh email, you might think, all right, this is a done deal. We're not going to squeeze any more juice out of this flow. People are still opening. People are still clicking and, and driving revenue from it. And the takeaway there for me is 
<laughs> that you can always continue to kind of be persistent in a, in a way that still adds value. Of course, like you were saying earlier, you don't want to spam say, Hey, you forgot something, you forgot something, but maybe it's, it's a change in positioning, or maybe it's highlighting a different benefit, or maybe it's including a different incentive, like free gift with purchase or free shipping or whatever it might be. But there are ways to, to recoup that revenue that was lost after an abandoned cart, even seven emails deep. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You don't have to, to go to seven emails if you don't want to, but usually two to three emails would, would do it. Yeah, would yeah. recover. And you actually need two types of abandoned cards. The abandoned checkout, which is the default in Clavio, and the abandoned add to cards. Okay, a, lot of, so a lot of shops uh, miss that. And they only take the default, which means an, an email is triggered when a customer exits before they complete their checkout. That they've already and, gotten to the checkout page and then bounce. Yes. And, and if, you, if they, so if they add, just add it to cart without the checkout, then, then you'd need to, you want to capture them as well. Interesting. Okay. So maybe it's like a, a trigger. I mean, to the, to the customer's perspective, they might not know the nuance of add to cart reverse checkout, but the, the trigger for that flow might be abandoned cart or add to cart. And not, yes, exactly. And not check out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because added to cart is, is triggered when a customer adds product to their cart, but they don't get as far as checking out before they abandon it. And this works with visitors that previously share their email with you. So you, you have their email in, their, in your database, either through a past purchase or through sign up to your, lead, to mm. your newsletter. Yeah. Now, Daniel, I wanted to, to close out with some of your takeaways from iOS 15. So iOS 15 is the change in Apple's tracking policy where was it IP address and opens are not, are not sent through or not tracked. Is that right? So open rates are a little bit less reliable and as a result might be a little bit lowered or, or maybe I'm wrong, but there was some fear about what data would be lost with the iOS 15 update, but we'd love to hear your interpretation based on what you're seeing and maybe some, some strategies to address it. Yeah. So iOS 15 has kind of brought to, to the center of stage, some newer elements, mainly masking who opens an email and masking a person's real email address. So with, with email opens, it's, it's just about Apple may basically opening the the mail kind of displaying it as if someone opened the email, but it's actually everyone who got the email is marked as, as having opened it. And, you know, in reality, we aren't yet seeing the kind of doom and gloom effects that some people predicted about this update. We are seeing changes in open rate metrics. We, we are seeing inflated open rates. So if you'd see previously 30%, now you'd see 35, 40%, sometimes a little bit more. And you know that it, this is probably not, not right. Because so what happens just to, to be clear on that, when an email is sent to iOS 15 user, it appears as if they opened it. So Clavio has ways to deal with it. Uh, so we can still monitor open rates and use them to understand how people are engaging with our emails. For example, we can exclude all the opens from people who have the iOS 15 email privacy turned on, which is mm. most people. So we look at only the data of real people from other platforms that are really opening up the emails. Now, in any case, open rates aren't the best reliable measure of engagement anyway. So 
it's great that we now have this other another excuse to move on to better engagement indicators such as click rates how many people clicked on your email out of all the emails that you've sent and also judging by sales conversion how many people actually bought a product following that email so now the open rates are harder to work with we're kind of forced to focus on what really matters which yeah. is the sales conversion that that's a great point just to- it might have been a lot of hullabaloo but a distraction in some sense when it can you can distill your focus down on metrics that you can control and can matter click through rate in sales yeah so it's a it's actually a welcome development nice good take yeah well daniel thanks so much for sharing your insights and and time really appreciate it and i learned a lot so thank you so much for that what would be the best place to find you online so the best way to get in touch with me is by email. Yeah. And if anyone's got questions, just drop me an email at daniel at emailcompose.com, composed with a D. And if you're interested in checking out our free abandoned car strategy workshop, or if you want to have a quick online assessment of your email marketing to see where your opportunities and, and revenue leaks, you can do that by going to our homepage at emailcompose.com. All right, Daniel Pollack, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you again. And that's the episode for today. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. We love you for it. If you found anything valuable at all or want to share your feedback, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also just drop us a line to hello at cartoverflow.com. We'd love to hear your feedback or suggestions so we can cover it in a future episode. All right. See you next time.